Warners. Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and SalesGravy.University. What a platform to go to to uplevel your game as a sales professional or a sales leader with almost 300 courses to choose from. Go check that out. Today, speaking of women your mother warned you about, I brought back a woman who's been here before and she's gonna you're gonna see more of her tatiana fiera is back in the house welcome tatiana i'm so happy you're here so excited to be here again it, it was so great i couldn't wait Awesome. So I'm excited because you and I got into such a great conversation the last time you were on the show. Well, we both have an L&D background. We both have a customer experience background. We could talk forever and ever about customer experience. This is something that you are doing in your business, especially. So just as a reminder to everybody listening and Tati can talk about it a little bit throughout of like how you can connect with her in an up-leveling customer experience in your business. So we got excited about this. So we're going to do a series. You are going to see Tati come back throughout and we're going to jump into client experience and best practices. I can foresee down the road, like <laughs> I was thinking about this before we got on, Tati, I was like, let's talk about what they should have done, right? Like like bringing up experiences when we can leave the company's nameless of like, what could they have done in this situation? And I'm sure you do that. I walk in and I'm like, oh, I want to help them so much because they had a they created a bad experience and it could have been avoided. Uh, that's an idea down the path. But today we're going to get into an ongoing for the next few is client experience myths. So the myths around customer experience and client experience. And I love it because I'm on board with what, what Tati brought to me today to talk about. And we're going to have a series of these myths. And this is something that Tati does with companies. So I'm going to hand it over to you to like introduce this first myth for us to talk around Tachi. Uh, thank you, Gina. Again, super excited to be here again. So the myths actually came from looking and such, such so, so much out there in terms of the, the silver bullets and CX and the things you should be doing and the, the conventional wisdom of ask questions, ask open-ended questions, or tell a story, or be everywhere, be so, so they can see you everywhere. And uh, the product is what matter or product knowledge is what's going to sell the product. So so many of these things out there that I started pulling together. So there's so many of these myths that when you go a little deeper, you dig a little deeper than the surface, you, you understand. And if you work with this, you understand that's not quite as simple or not quite as it, it's, it's being talked about. So like you said, there are several of these. Be excited to share them over the next months, weeks and months. But today I wanted to start actually with one of my favorites, which is the, I call it the engagement myth, mm. which relates to the quality of the questions that you're asking. And I love to, to hear from you and the experiences you had with this. Is I had, I've had so many of these experiences where you go somewhere and Obviously, this is, I call it the level one, level zero is the one, no one's asking you anything and you just kind of in and out and you're the one asking all the questions. We're not talking about that. Here we're talking about the myth of, hey, let's just ask the client questions and let's just get to know this client and let's just rapid fire, forget the wall questions. Let's just do whatever we, we need to do to get to know this client and asking them questions that may, it are either irrelevant, uncomfortable, both either and there's so many of, of, of those 
those options that could be a better engagement with that. So the quality of those questions and the and being purposeful in a way in which you in the way in which you're asking questions. Is there a specific example? I'm sure you have some of times that questions can be asked that are not purposeful, like a, a specific you've experienced it or seen it scenario. This happened several times. I'll give one example. I had gone to a, again, we will not, as you mentioned before, whose centers will be unnamed, especially in the difficult experiences or the ones where we have yeah. opportunities. But I had gone to a large retailer in New York City and I was looking for some cosmetics. I was looking to purchase cosmetics and I needed help with some things. And walked in, salesperson engages, start, and it starts asking a lot of questions about me. Where am I from? Do I live in New York City? How long have I been here? What kind of business do I do? Where do I work? And it felt both one, like it was holding me back from getting what I needed to get. So that was, it felt like a, a bit of a waste of time for one. And I was like, I, I kind of hear Fred, I want to be rude, but I'm kind of <laughs> hurry it up. I know what I want. <laughs> it's really right. It's like, what, what kind of get? What kind of matter are you going to offer me and what I am interested in doing? <laughs> very invasive and it, it got me thinking and it wasn't the only time but a specific time is very vivid in my mind it got me thinking about the questions that I, I, I thought about what's the relevance of that right so what's the relevance of you asking me something where am I from for example are you going to use that information are you going to is that going to enhance our relationship is this going to move us further in the value added chain and I couldn't see how, and clearly the person didn't see how, because they were thought, most likely, and they were very eager and they were trying. They were most likely thought that as long as you're asking questions, preferably open-ended, you're doing the right thing. You're engaging with a customer, you're making them feel special. I didn't feel special at all. I feel like I was being interrogated by the guy. It wasn't that that serious, but I, I felt like I was being interrogated. There were so many questions, there were so many things, and at one point it's like, what is it? I didn't say, but I'm like, what does it matter to you how long I've lived in New York City? Like, what is, know. yeah, what does living in New York City have to do with the red lipstick I want? Correct. And, and this is, <laughs> and that's the only interesting, and I've asked this of teams, and I only once I had a question, I had a question that uh, had an answer that was relevant to this. It was a team that I was working with that should so choose in Canada. And it's like, we ask people where they're from because if they're from the certain part of town, we know we need to sell them these waterproof boots and, and shoes because it's an area where it rains a lot. And okay, yeah, this makes sense to me that you would then want to know because that to me is service, right? Hey, I know where you're from or I know where you I know how that information can help me add value to this conversation where it's just information. Which let's be honest, we're going to forget in within three minutes. As soon as I walk away, this is no longer information that's going to be relevant to anyone. So I find that this myth of the quality, the lack of quality in the questions, this engagement, as long as you're engaging, you're good to go. It's an absolute myth. You're not good to go as long as you're engaging. You need to be engaging meaningfully and you need to be offering value. Well, I'll chime in on this here of what's happening, I think, right? So this is to me where like the brain science kind of kicks in for the customer, right? Like you you named it, the interrogation. Even going to dial it back a little bit, have both having an L&D background, right? Somebody trained them to at, just engage them, ask them all these engaging questions, build rapport, right? And so there was no, I'm just guessing that whoever trained them 
there was no why behind why you're going to ask these questions. So it was, as we know, a lot of employees will just be like, well, here's the checklist I was told in my training that I need to ask all these questions. But no one really explained that what the benefit would be or when would be appropriate to ask those questions. And so when you're getting that question out of nowhere of like, how long have you lived in New York? Your brain's like, wait a second, something feels not safe here. And then your safety bias is kicking in, your negativity bias is kicking in because your brain doesn't know the difference, right? Your amygdala is like, why do you need that information? Especially today, especially as a woman, I don't need to genderize it, but I'm like, why do you want to know where I live? Why do you want to know? Like I'm getting like, my brain is like, whoa, danger, right? So that's part of it. And then if they don't set it up with a why behind it, right? That's going to kind of trigger you. I have two examples of these engagement issues. So for example, in sales, right? In the B2B space, even B2C, like let's just talk about you're doing outbound telephone prospecting and you, you, you're going through your list and you're calling people and somebody answers the phone, Tatiana answers the phone. And I'm like, hi, Tatiana, how are you? And you're like, what's your reaction to that? You don't know me. Like how, what's going through your head when I'm like, how are you? It's the script, right? You're following that, that script and you, what you've been told to, it's the, we discussed it a little bit last time, but the welcome, right? The, the difference yeah. between saying welcome and actually welcoming somebody, which we can have a whole episode just about that, but it's the welcome, welcome to fill in the blank. It's the least welcoming thing you can say because it's a check in the box. Oh, but I said it. I even looked up from my phone when I said it. <laughs> or my favorite, and I may have been trained this way. I think we talked about this last time. I started in retail. I started first at The Gap, and then I worked at Paul Harris. And it, we were trained to be like, what can I help you with today? Followed by, we've got a promotion over here when you buy these two outfits, right? So the customer is like, right? The first reaction, like, what can I help you with today? Nothing, just looking. Right. Like that's the reflex response that's saying, please back away, get out of my space. Do not invade my space and engage me in that way. You have to be a little more subtle in the engagement because the brain is going off. So same thing for anyone outbound prospecting. The hi, how are you? Get rid of it. Because the, of it. the brain is like, my brain goes, I don't know you and it's none of your business how I am. And I, and even when I train salespeople on this, they're like, oh, that just it just seems like you're being rude if you're not asking them. I'm like, they know that it's just a pleasantry and you're a salesperson and they're like, get with it. Get with it. What do you want? And this can also be, I think, geographical and regional as well. Right? You mentioned New York. A New Yorker will be like, what's your point? Someone in the South we're slow. They want to talk about their babies and the grandbabies. And so you might change how you do things. But I, I think that we'll talk about that in a second. But I think that you bring up an interesting point because it's reading the customer, right? What do I look like? I'm, how am I responding to you? What does it look like I'm interested in? Uh, you can read my body yeah. language. You can read the intonation of my voice and how I came. Like, what is it? Am I doing other three other things while we're, am I talking to you? 
funny you mentioned that I'll go back a little bit on the question of what can I help you with? Any team that has worked with me, any company has worked with me, know that is my least favorite question, <laughs> closely followed by where you're from. But, the, but uh, the, the, uh, what can I help you with? Or let me know if I can help you with anything. The answer is no, 99% of the time. And if it's yes, it's a lazy way to approach it because I was going to tell you anyways, if I was looking for them very specific and I walk into a store, I was, I was just to say that. So yeah, you don't need to. So that question is useless, no matter how you look at it. But from a perspective of actually engaging with someone, to your point, uh, in addition to being a question that elicits the response that is no, it's a question that triggers something in our brain from previous exposure to that, which is, oh, warning, this person is just following the script. They don't care that I'm here. They're really yeah. not going to help me, which is also that connection you get when you call a customer service uh, uh, line and you talk to someone and within the first few seconds, if they're going to help you or not, there's science to this, right? You are, yeah, and, yeah. And when 99% of the time you're right about it, you're like, oh, this person is not going to help me or this person is going to help me. They're, they know what they're talking about. They're eager. They're asking me the right questions. They're listening. They're paying attention. So how do you get teams? And part of the work that I do in terms of the excellent selling ceremony with teams has to do with this. How do you break away in a way that is it's authentic to you and to your personality and to the be yourself, but being yourself with skill, how do you break away from that question? How do you go to other questions that could be way more meaningful and way more engaging? And to your point, are not just it can't just be that you don't you don't even look up and you're asking that question because you have the two questions or the three questions that you, that you, there is a step there that cannot be missed, which is watching the cup paying attention to the cues that the person is giving you. Exactly, and so as you were describing that scenario, and I've been in that scenario of going to the cosmetics counter where I am a loyal customer in different cities too, like traveling. I'm on a mission. Right? And I live in a smaller town that does not have the best selection. So if I'm in another city, I would, I'm going to I'm walking in like a bull in a china shop. I know exactly what I need because I'm replacing something and I walk right in to ask for what I want. If you pick up on the queue, you can see, ooh, she's coming in on a mission. I'm going right to the counter and saying, um, I'm looking for this in this color. Uh, can you see if you have that? Like you can tell I'm on a mission. I'm not just kind of meandering, looking around. I'm just going straight in. Don't ask one, me where. That's one key That's one key cue. But I will challenge you with that. And you, I can still stay on your tempo and offer you something. And Ex exactly, you can then mirror and match me. You could mirror and match me. You could even test the waters with, I might, because observation, I observe people, I watch them and I can read them and it always surprises them. They're like, how'd you know that? Right? Like I, I can read them and I'm like, huh, you are on a mission. You are on a mission today. What's, you got something special going on today? Like then I'm going to like uh, find a question that's going to actually match their behavior that will get them to be like, and going a little bit backwards on that too, on the purposefulness behind the question, that's really about what's in it for me that you're asking me this question? Why should this question matter to me? What am I going to get as a result of answering the question? So I've seen a couple different things happen that kind of came to mind on this. 
I've worked with a lot of military recruiters and they are salespeople, even though they don't want to be or they don't think they are. And so they actually have to do this interrogation to pre-qualify them, right? Because if you're going to join the military, you have to be in good health. You have to have certain academic skills, IQ skills. You have to be a certain level of intelligence. You can't have committed any crimes. Yeah, like there's a whole litany of things that they have to ask. And the first time I worked with them, I was like, you ask all those questions because they're invasive. Like I was surprised, like when they have to talk to women, they're like, they have to ask women about their periods. And I'm like, that just feels weird. As a civilian, I I said that to them. I'm like, I get it that you you need to get there, but do you have to get there right away? How do we warm up before we start the, hey, I do need to ask you a couple questions that are going to determine whether or not you're actually eligible. Like you can get there, but don't start there. That's number one. And then another example, when we were building our house, um, this was like when everything was crashing and burning in 2020 and uh, the impact of that, because we are in this house now a year and a half. So this might have been 2021, 2022. Couldn't find houses, had to go to a builder and they were all living high on the hog. Like they were like, people just wanted a house. They came in and then a lot of builders went into a new mode of like, this is what we're selling you. You don't get to pick anything anymore. And so it became very transactional in the home builder world, in my opinion, because I must've visited five or six home builders and every single one of them, when I would walk in, that salesperson was just overworked because they didn't have to sell. Like people were like, I'll take it. You've got a house. I'll take it. And so I would walk in and start, I would start asking questions because I'm I'm trying to provide information and this this will lead us into the storytelling piece of this. The questions were so, again, transactional and a little, well, how many bedrooms do you want? Okay, let's, I'm like, well, I'm actually looking for four or five bedrooms. All right, well, we only have three bedroom units. I'm like, okay. And I would walk out. And because I've trained a lot of salespeople in home building, the question should have been, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle. Because if you would have probed that and you learned that I need a space where I can have a home studio, I have a, I, I need a space for my stepson. My husband would love a man cave, right? If you said something like, tell me more about your lifestyle and your family and who's going to be living there. They could have told me, and I already knew it, but I want to see if they would tell me, well, we've got these three bedrooms, but here are some models that actually have some bonus rooms. And this is what you could do in these bonus rooms. After they asked me more purposeful questions about what I was going to do in the space. It's so it's and it's so connected with your first point, right? In in explaining to someone first that preliminary and sometimes you have to just the same way, sometimes you have to repeat to someone what they just told you to make sure that you got it. The technique of communication that is incredibly effective. Hey, if I understand you correctly, this is what you're looking for. But this discovery, that's what purposeful questions will lead to. The discovery of so then I become which has been a change that I made to nomenclature and, and various organizations where I've been in, but it has to be beyond that. It has to be beyond the title of salesperson to advisor. Many times, how, how do you become an advisor? How do you advise someone? It's by asking those questions, by understanding what you could be looking for. Because this is the moment where me, 
where, where, where my role as the expert is to understand what you're looking for, to understand your desires, to understand your objectives, because you might be asking me for something that is it's not aligned with your final objectives even. So in a way, it's to challenge in a very soft way, but it's to understand like, okay, you came looking for this, but based on what you're telling me, yes, what you came looking for may be good, or here's three other options, or here are other things that you could be doing with that, right? I recall some of the best connections when I worked, when you're selling it. I'll give an example of a handbag to someone and they come in and they say, Hey, I'm looking for this and I want this handbag, which is like the super soft, delicate leather and white. You take a look and you pay attention that this person's bag that they're carrying looks like it's carrying the world in it. And so you, you got to be smart about how you're going to talk about this, but you want to be that advisor that says, and not to say, not to, again, and not to blurt out, well, this is really delicate. Uh, I don't think this is pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you look but, a little rough around the edges. You, you look like you're going to put this bag down on the floor a lot, right? So maybe, maybe this is not for you because I'm just, how do you create an environment in which I'm asking you the right questions? So what are you going to use this for? Can I ask you a couple of questions to understand, to make the best recommendation for this? Then you read the cues. No, I've done all the research. I don't want recommendations. Okay, let me show you this one. Maybe I'll still squeeze another one with a lot of skill, but a lot of times people are open. Yeah, sure. Let me tell you about my lifestyle. Let me tell you about myself. I know you came looking for this, but here's the option I have for you. Here's another, here's something you may not know about, which is the worst kept secret in customer experience. The person that is, is share, that, that is servicing your need, that is there speaking to you, knows a lot or should know about their offering. They should know about what, they, what, will, what will work for you. And most of the time, they just don't, they're not necessarily sharing it or they're not necessarily asking the right questions to even get to the place where they are making that recommendation, where they are telling you, maybe we're going to go for, 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 for a grainier leather and something that's a different color because I see you wearing dark jeans. And did you hear about, did, did you know there's something like such that's called color transfer that once they get some, that beautiful white leather bag, it will never come off because that bag is skin and it will be like a tattoo that goes into that, that goes into that material and things that someone may or may not have thought about. Oh, okay. This is something that, so that again, how easy is it to add value to that conversation? If I am asking you purposeful questions that will yeah. give me the right information to lead you in the right path. Yeah. A couple things. I love that you said the word advisor and it really started making me thinking about how people, how companies try to get fancy with the titles that they're going to give people. And especially in the B2B sales space of like all the different titles I see come up that don't say sales in them, which is great. Like, I don't want to, I, I don't need to know you're a salesperson, but if you put the, I hate when it's like, oh, sales consultant or design consultant. First of all, again, the word consultant can trigger people for one, like mm, consultant. Mm, okay. Advisor, right? If maybe I should be a training advisor versus a training salesperson because that is exactly it. And I think that's why I do well in sales is because I ask purposeful questions and then I come back with, you know what, I, I know that you said this was important to you, but based on everything you've shared with me and then I repeat back, actually, I think that we have a, a solution that might be a better option. I'm just going to put it out there for you just so you have it as an option. And usually I can win them over that way because 
I'm looking out for like what is best for them based on their situation. But if I don't ask the questions, I'm not going to get the answer. The other thing that I liked, which I think is a an interesting hack. I don't think you meant it that way, but I think this is a hack for everybody. Can I ask you a few questions? I like that question because I'm a big believer in asking for permission, meaning, can I coach you on this? Can I ask you a few questions on this? So I'm now setting it up versus going straight into an interrogation. Can I ask you a few questions so that I can make the best recommendations? I love that because that's that says, I respect you and I'm not going to interrogate you. I want you to know that I'm trying to help you. And that's why, is it okay if I ask you questions? Plus, when they say yes, you're actually starting to set them up for practicing saying yes to you. When you're so that when you get to the point of like, are you ready to buy that? You've kind of set them, taught them how to say yes through the process and you built the trust. There's no, absolutely. And I think that this, again, this piece, on, on, especially if you're in a hurry, which most of us are when we go somewhere, I definitely am all the time, whether, I, whether I'm in New York or not. <laughs> well, it's moving fast and you're, and you're there. And if you don't tell me, you just start asking these questions like, okay, let's get on with it. Now you say, hey, can I ask you a few questions to identify what's best for you or for me to, do we have a few new products that might be, and even making that statement, we have a few new products that might be even better for you. Can I just ask you a few questions? If you like this, you may like the, the human version. And if you like this, you may like that. Yeah, yeah. And the chances of me walking away with several products is this is a shout out to, and we'll give shout outs to retailers that have done this well, but shout out to a lot of Sephora teams that are out there that will ask you a variety of questions. You went in to buy the one lipstick and you walked into all <laughs> items that you now love and you tell everybody about, right? So they, years ago, they revolutionized what that looked like for beauty, where it used to be someone behind a counter selling one brand and telling you that every all your dreams will come true if you purchase just that one brand and buy just with them as they stand behind this counter and just pull little boxes out of a drawer. I, I, I think that, that it's absolutely crucial that you establish that relationship with someone to say, hey, and you may even get, sometimes you may get that, hey, no, I'm really, I just really got to go. I got to be on the phone. I, I just need that one. And that's okay. That's also fine. You also need to read that cue. But it brought me up to, to, to something else, which something that I have done actually in, in past companies where I worked with, with, which was really fun, is a practice of how do you come up with questions that the answer cannot be no. Someone cannot answer no to. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes a real, like that no is not an answer to that, right? So that it, it's a really fun game to play and it, it, it trains the salesperson to your point getting into yes and getting into a place of positivity because one of the when i analyze what's happening with customer experience in in with in a retailer a lot of times the, the one of the the root causes for the lower conversion or for the the, the disengaged customer is that they're getting so many no they're hearing so many no's it, is there a way for me to answer the customer's needs also without saying no is there something else? So the game goes both ways, right? You're playing this game or I'm asking you questions. I'm in, the, I'm in the sales seat and I'm asking my customer questions that it's not possible for you to say no to. And on the other hand, I am also training myself to nothing that you ask me is, is I'm going to answer with no. Yeah. I am going to think of an option. I'm going to think of an additional question I can ask you. And 
It sounds more complicated than it is. It's not that hard. And if you get into the practice of doing that, it really does wonders for that relationship and for that engagement because we're so used to hearing no everywhere and to hearing that and sort of that door yeah. that closes in your face, right? Yeah. Oh, do you have this available in this no. size? No. No. <laughs> um, I have a, so my worst, can I, can I share my worst customer experience yes, ever? Please. I, I will not share. Some people listening to this have heard this story and they may know the retailer, but I will not share who the retailer is. I would just say I was purchasing shoes. I was looking to purchase, purchase a pair of shoes and I walked into this retailer. Wasn't super dressed up. It was quite casual that day. And I asked, looked around for a little while, browsing, picking up pairs of shoes. No one approaches me. Mind you, there are three or four people that are just standing there, right? They clearly work in the shop. Some women are trying on shoes. Finally, I approach, I grab, I'm waiting for what felt like, which is another very interesting fun fact about what feels to the customer like five minutes. It's proven to be sometimes under a minute in real life. But the customer has, because I've worked with some of that research and like, were you re- reviewing the cameras? Were you looking at really how long it took when the customer gave that feedback that was waiting for someone for 10 minutes? It was actually a minute and a half. It was actually 37 seconds, <laughs> but it feels like five minutes. So in my case, I'm going to say that's not like five minutes. And finally, I walk up to the salesperson who first takes that, it takes that moment to look at me up and down and make me feel very adequate about my nice flip flops and the dress I was wearing. I'm like, great. The, 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 the air of disapproval was up there. <laughs> store. And then I say, hey, looking for this shoe, looking to try on this shoe. Without missing a beat, this person says to me, the salesperson says to me, oh, we don't have it in your size. But mind you, I haven't shared my size yet. You haven't. And, and this is exactly what kind of comes out of my mind. I was like, well, but I, I, I haven't told you my size. Now, we work in the business. I work in the business. Chances are they knew that all they had was 35 or a couple of small sizes and they looked at me and they knew for a fact that even though they didn't know my size exactly or maybe it, if you've been working with shoes for a little while I can 99% of the time guess pretty close to what someone's size is so there's a chance that they he looked at but how did that make me feel you haven't even asked my size yet and you already told me your product's not available to me you haven't offered me anything else you look at me up and down already as if it didn't belong in your shop yeah we're, we're not selling you any shoes lady correct we're you're not so I just, I said, well, you haven't asked my size. And then I just looked at him, gave him the shoe and said, okay, thank you so much. And I walked away. I went on to purchase two pairs of shoes in a different retailer later on. Never again returned to that original one. Uh, but that's the, the, this is the kind, and it could have been a completely misguided situation. It could have been, again, someone who knew was looking to not waste my time, someone who knew that all they had in that specific shoe model was really small sizes and but how can this be perceived in a different way how you can do this how you can ask the right questions how, how that connection can happen in the right way it, and these were all the wrong thing yeah so I was a couple things going through my head on that right so the right answer could have been uh, the obvious like what let's just say because they didn't share this that they were completely out of the shoe and this shoe is on display and shouldn't be because they're out. So, right. And so you think it's available because it's on display and they didn't want to come and they, they didn't want to say, oh, we actually don't have any more. And, <laughs> and we messed up and forgot to take the shoe off display. Right. Could have gone through the process of like, what's your size? Let me go check. 
then go check, pretend, come back, and then say, you know what? We don't have your size, but it looks like you really like this shoe. What do you like about this shoe in particular? Because maybe there's another shoe that is similar. Now you're engaging. I, w- I was just going to tell you that uh, I was going to ask, I was, I was thinking, like, did you go through my training that I did in the past? <laughs> of exactly that. Of, that's why we're, we, we went along. This is, this is exactly what you do. This is it. And beyond that, I know your size. And I and this actually, I have to be very thankful for experiences like this because this inspired me to, uh, in, in specifically working with shoe salespeople and training them and in, in, in saying, all you got to know is their size. And I will even tell you that if, you, if you're skilled at this, you won't even say, hey, what size are you? You're just going to say size eight or size eight and a half when I look at you. And then you're going to confirm or not, which already makes you feel like I know what I'm talking about, right? It has this little sprinkle of knowledge. Perfect. And, yeah, and, perfect point. And there's a lot. But then when I come back, not only did I go and I knew maybe I knew that she wasn't available. But when I come back, I have a couple of other pairs in your size. That could be a wonderful match. And maybe even one pair. Let's just go to the bare minimum, right? I have one pair in something that's similar or that serves the same purpose. Or even before I get to you, you get to the questions that you just mentioned, which are incredibly important. Hey, what are you looking to? What do you like about it? What I can even, in a in the very same amount of time it will take me to bring that over to check on that, I'm bringing you something else. A great point. And I think this actually happened to me at Neiman Marcus. Not a surprise. I think this was a scenario that happened uh, at Neiman Marcus where they brought me out other shoes. Where they're like, but the shoe you want, we're out of it. And I'm like, but I brought a few others out for you. Just they're similar and you might you might like these. And I'm like, and of course I bought something because they spent the time to go, okay, like, this isn't that hard. This is just, it's, it's it's not that hard. It's what's hardest to transform. And I wouldn't say it's hard. It's just, it requires a plan. You need a plan to transform that into a behavior, into a habit. Because once it becomes behavior, once that becomes the way I sell, there's no stopping it. You see the benefit, you see how it works, just like we do other activities without really thinking about it much. It just, yeah. So, a lot of this work with CX and a lot, again, it it is the soft skilling practice of changing behaviors, how getting in real life, getting the frontline, uh, the, the customer facing team to be consistent with it. But it requires a plan and that plan requires it, it, it is training, it's follow up, it's circling back, is coaching, it's consistent feedback, is the evolution it's following them through their own evolution in that and, and who's responsible for that and how are they skilled or up skilled to be uh, yeah. adequately responsible for those things so at the, at, there, there's there's so many of those people yes it's super simple and yes we all know it and yet we are hard-pressed to find any uh, examples where that has happened consistently there are certain friends and, and there are players out there that have done a much better job than others but it just requires, it's ongoing. And that's the, what many times the companies that are selling you the silver bullets want to talk about. Because if I'm telling you it's ongoing, if I'm telling you it's behavior, if I'm telling, you may get a little discouraged. But if I tell you I have a silver bullet, just buy my software, or just do this, or just do that, or just my favorite cascade, just tell them. They will do it. I, 
that's my I'm sure you're this sounds familiar to you right this comes up a lot for me there were years ago this is the first time it came up in a conversation I was making a really big pitch to a fortune 500 company for a training program and it was like out of the scene of Mad Men. I was at this big table. They had ashtrays. They could smoke for real. And I'm not that old <laughs> to go back to Mad Men days. And the question came up, what are you going to do to ensure the training sticks? I'm sure you've heard this, right? And I <laughs> couldn't help it. The sassy in me was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> That's wonderful. Now we didn't get the account. We weren't a good fit, but which was fine because it wasn't really we weren't a, it wasn't a good alignment. But training is only as good as the continuation, the consistency, the leadership. And so I said, I can't remember if I said, what are you going to do? I think my politically correct response was. Well, since the uh, leaders, since the managers are going to all be part of the training, I will work with them on how to coach around that to make sure that the training is sticking. And they go, oh, the leaders are too busy for that. They're not going to be in the training. And that was my real like, oh, I don't know if this is a good fit for us because I said, I'm not going to be there with them every day. Somebody has to hold them accountable for this training this stick. So, right, that, that's a whole cumulative thing going on there. And that's where your expertise comes in and also to say, hey, because what the what I see the key difference being, yes, there's some things that you can generically say, hey, this is what needs to happen for it to stick, right? But when you get to work with a company, when I when you or I are working with a company specifically for this, what you identify is what are the there with that company culture, with that right, process, right, right, with right, product, right. with that sales model, with that operational model. Yeah. How do you and there are going to be so many nuances to that. So it's not it, it's not so much the complete, but it's not this, oh, let me just get a generic step one, two, three, four. And to your point, like, oh, the managers and, and obviously if they're not ready to do the work, that's a whole nother conversation mm -hmm. because otherwise it won't stick. We know this. Yeah. But even understanding and and this is something I'm very uh, keen on is how do you understand the the current scenario? How do you understand what they where they are today? Because a lot of times when they're working with a consultant, when they're working with somebody that is giving them directives on hey, this is what you should do, it they're using ideal state. Yeah, they're talking about hey, if you have all employees, yeah. you should have three people on the floor. One person is only observing. You should have Fantastic. I have 0.75 person on the floor <laughs> on any given day. How do you actually, and that's where I think things get lost in translation many times is because you, a lot of times you're also not working, companies are also not working with real life scenarios. They're working with ideal scenarios. Oh, when I have, then when I have this dedicated yeah, yeah. customer experience manager, then I can do all of these things. Until then, everyone is really busy. And so that's a key point. In, in the participation and, and listen, it's human, right? We all want some things that will solve things quickly. We all want the, the quick solution, something that does, hopefully doesn't require much of our effort for things to get solved. That's just not really how it works. So that that's probably the key. I think you've uncovered something really important, which is the key 
So this whole conversation we're having around CX is why, if we all know about this, why don't more companies do this on a regular basis? And that's the answer. Well, maybe we should dive into that on the next episode. I think that is a good, that's a good place to dive into and keep people wanting more. Plus, we will get to the storytelling myth on the next episode and how this conversation engagement piece actually feeds into the storytelling. But I do want to come back to why aren't companies doing this the right way? So I just can't wait for the series to continue. If people want to reach out to you to work with you, Tatiana, what is the best way to do that? They can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Tatiana Ferreira. Or they can reach out to Tati, T-A-T-I at TatiFerreira.com is my email. And you can reach out at any time. Again, not just providing services of advisory and consulting, but also always happy to have a conversation and get to meet people that are as passionate about this topic as we are. Awesome. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap up. It is time to wrap up, but we'll be back together very soon. So thank you for being here today on talking about the myths behind customer and client experience. Thank you so much and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Awesome. Okay, listeners, thank you for watching this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and salesgravy.university. You can also watch this episode on YouTube. So check that out, especially today. If you see how we are color coordinated, you might want to go check that out. WomenYourMotherWarnedYouAbout.com will bring you to everything, all our social media channels, including our YouTube channel. So we'll see you next time. Bye.